I've learned that if you say no to your first idea, you might be saying no to your 20th idea or your 100th idea. It's really important to get in the habit of just trying, just trying your dreams, your ideas. They might very well fail, but people only remember us um, for our successes. People forget failures, especially if you just keep doing stuff and throwing stuff at the wall while they sit on the bench and do nothing, you know, like, who cares what anybody else thinks? Just go try it, get the ball rolling, and see what happens. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. I will live every day as if there were a microphone tucked under my tongue. It's great to get in the game, but don't get in the game until you understand the rules till you're an insider. Your life changes when you begin having a different conversation in your head. What we need to do in radically deep problems is propose radically visionary solutions. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Greetings, everyone. My name is Julie Masters and welcome to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement or a nation. Now, here's today's question. When was the last time you showed up before you were ready? Before you knew the next step, before you knew if it would work, before you had any idea how you were going to pull it off. Today's episode is all about those moments. Those moments that usually begin with the four words, I can't do that. Those four words that more than often stand between us and the next level of our impact or influence. Now, usually with hindsight, we can all pinpoint some of those major I can't moments in our lives. I know I certainly can. And it's good to reflect on those and what would have happened or did happen when you held back. But today, I don't want to focus on the past. I want to focus on right now. Where do you need to start showing up right now before you're ready? What's your I can't moment right now? Think about it. And then I want you to keep it in your mind as you listen. Today's guest, honestly, was somebody I have wanted to have on the show since the very first episode. His lens on epic storytelling is a rabbit hole I could and do go down for hours. How he responds to ideas when they arrive and the hard work that always follows and his absolute commitment to showing up against the odds has quite simply been an inspiration to me in my own life. Ever since I first discovered his work way back, it feels like now, in 2016, that guest is Jeremy Cowart. Jeremy is an award-winning photographer, artist, and entrepreneur whose mission in life is to explore the intersection of creativity and empathy. He's been named the most influential photographer on the internet by Huffington Post, Forbes, Yahoo. His photography and portraits are sought out by names including Taylor Swift, Sting, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Heidi Klum, Gwyneth Paltrow, his work has been published in Rolling Stone, ESPN Magazine, People Magazine, US Today, New York Times, Time Magazine. I could keep going. However, for me, his influence first came to light as part of his latest endeavor, The Purpose Hotel. The Purpose Hotel is a global hotel chain where each room is designed to support the work of not-for-profit organizations, all fueled by human storytelling. And here, as they say, is where our story begins. As part of our conversation today, I asked Jeremy to reflect on a life built around overcoming those two simple words, I can't. And as part of diving into that journey, we also explore the vital role his parents played in reprogramming his brain when it came to saying the words, I can't. Any parents of young children will want to definitely take notes here. How asking the question, what skills can I contribute, started a global movement that has since impacted the lives of nearly one million people worldwide. The truth about inspiration and how many of us spend years living in fear of our own ideas. His lens on storytelling, storytelling's designed to create action and how Kickstarter holds the key to understanding just how impactful one short video can actually be. How to take that initial spark of interest in your idea and nurture it into a sustainable flame 
both when it comes to leading other people through the ups and downs of building anything worthwhile, but also, and probably more importantly, when it comes to leading ourselves through the ups and downs of what it takes to build anything worthwhile. And finally, why biting off more you can chew doesn't take superhuman strength, but more the courage to put one foot in front of the other. In his words, if a photographer who got five out of a hundred in his school English exam can build a multi-story, multinational hotel chain from nothing but a simple idea, then anything is truly possible. A few quick notes on this one. There are some brief mentions of both genocide and acts of abuse. As always, I will leave it for you to decide what's best for you and any other ears around you. What I would love you to notice as you listen is that Jeremy doesn't fit the traditional bill of a trailblazer. He isn't high octane, he's extroverted or always hustling to make the next deal. Instead, he is reflective, um, deliberate, and for me, the most impressive, unshakable when it comes to showing up, even when he can't see the next step. And that is why, when I first heard of Purpose Hotel, I instantly backed it. So if there's any part of you that has a stereotype of who you need to be in order to make an impact, that's just a really good thing to notice. Now, if you're looking to take your journey in influence to the next level right now, don't forget to hop on my website or the show notes and download the brand new version of my ebook, The Influencer Code. It covers the seven core areas and seven core questions that I have found hands down to be the most useful when it comes to rapidly increasing your level of influence. Just pop in your email address and it will be in your inbox in the time it takes to pour a cup of coffee. My newsletter, Influence Insider, also gives a weekly bite-sized tools, strategy, or mindset shift, all on the topic of building a more influential life. Once again, hop onto my website, juliemasters.com, to become an insider. Join us, and I promise to make your attention worthwhile. On that note, sit back, drive safe, cycle on, and get ready for the visionary storyteller that is Jeremy Cowart. Welcome to the podcast, Jeremy Cowart. Thank you so much, Julie. I'm uh, super excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. Now, before we get into the the meat of, of everything that I want to talk to you about today, and there is so much, um, I usually kick off with a question. And the question is, is there one idea that's having a particular impact on you right now or is influencing your thinking right now? And my thinking behind the question is that people who are out there doing incredible things usually notice things before the rest of us. So what have you noticed or what is, what's captured your imagination at the moment? Yeah, um, I'm, gosh, always influenced and inspired by others' ideas. I'm going to feel like the Internet is just, you know, constant waterfall of ideas uh, and it can get overwhelming, but... Uh, I'm an idea guy myself, and lately I've been exploring this idea of making light move through a still photo. Um, so I'm calling it a lightograph, which is the evolution of light through a photograph. And it's really, really um, fun to do and hard to do, technically challenging. But I launched it a couple of weeks ago, and then I've been trying to figure out what else is possible. It feels like I've discovered a new, new planet and I'm running around the planet trying to see what all is, is there, you know, uh, while it's still brand new. And so I've been immersed in the world of uh, shooting lithographs lately. So just for those of us who love photos but don't know an awful lot about the field, when you say making light move through a photograph, what what does that look like? <laughs> Yeah, it's a video file, um, but there's no, there's nothing that moves whatsoever except for the light. So imagine you're looking at a portrait of somebody on Instagram, but the light is evolving and moving and changing in the still wow. photograph. Yeah, so it's done through a really nerdy uh, sequence of 
shooting really fast uh, as somebody sits really still and shooting a burst of various uh, lighting setups simultaneously during that one second of time before the person can move and then slowing that down into basically a time lapse. Wow. So again, I can I can nerdy, actually but. I can actually visualize what that would be and and kind of how almost ethereal that would look. I'm going to I will check that out some more. Is it on your Instagram? Yes, I have lots of examples on my Instagram. It's actually quite um soothing in a chaotic uh social media world. They're like they're like, I don't know, looking at a waterfall because it's just really um, subtle and beautiful and, and simple. Mm. You know, the thing I love about asking that question up front is I never know what's going to come. And <laughs> usually it's something that is additive to my life, either creatively, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And I am sure that that will be that. All right, I want to... I want to get into your life because, you know, I've wanted to have you on the podcast for a, a long time now because I just, firstly, I love the way that you tell stories and we're, we're going to get into that, but just some of the things that you have done and how you have applied what you do in the world and who you are in the world to creating movement and community um, has just been very impactful in my life. And when we were preparing for this interview, I said to you, have you got, you know, have you got some materials I can, I can look through? And you sent me this video about your life called I Am Possible, which was incredible. And I was curious about how it started. It started out with two words, and that was, I can't. And I'm curious, why did you start there? Well, I always felt like those were my... Good. That was my go-to response to my parents. You know, I just always thought I wasn't capable of doing things that my parents thought I could do. You know, I can't play baseball or I can't play the piano. I'm not smart enough to, you know, make straight A's. And so I just always had this uh, instilled doubt uh, as a child. And so I felt like the world can relate to that. You know, and I think everybody struggles with various levels of fear and doubt and anxiety and so I just wanted to be open and vulnerable and you know say me too those have been my voices my entire life and you said that your dad reprogrammed your mind I loved that word reprogrammed it sounds very deliberate as a strategy from him how did he do that yeah I grew up in a, um, a Christian home and so my dad would always you know, any time I would say I can't do something, my dad would respond with a Bible verse uh, that says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, which, you know, is a pretty standard Bible verse, and it's also quite cliche, and it even, you know, it would even annoy me because I could predict that coming imagine. out of his mouth. Yeah, so I'd get annoyed by it, but I think... I think over time, those those mottos, those things we hear over and over and over, you know, really do start to work uh, over the course of time. And so, I don't know, he did, he and my mom both really did help me. I mean, even just their love, uh, loving me and buying me. You know, if I wanted to be an artist, they would buy me an art table, an art supplies. They'd buy me a camera, like whatever it is I wanted to do they would kind of support that. And so, um, and I was very blessed in that way because I know a lot of, a, a lot of people don't have supportive parents. Um, so I was very lucky to grow up in a supportive home. Um, and you know, parents to say that you can do the thing that you don't think you can do. And you, you know, one of the stories that you tell is about your grades and the, the, one of the ones I picked up was five out of a hundred in English vocab, which struck me because you are such a beautiful storyteller. And it's interesting, I think, for anybody out there listening, you know, the, the metric definition of English vocab and the definition of English vocab that has the, the most impact is often very different. But so you took those grades and you, you went in a different direction. You, you fell in love with art. Mm -hmm. Where, what was that moment for you 
when you suddenly thought, I can do this, this I can do? Yeah, it was actually really early. Um, in seventh grade, I took my first, you know, art class. I think I had to, and uh, I, I started finding that I was making, um, you know, pretty decent art. Nothing, nothing, nothing like mind blowing. I wasn't like a prodigy or anything, but it was enough that I um, felt like the drawings, you know the assignments I was doing better than other students and so I just felt like oh this is like a thing that I'm good at and I really really like it so um yeah that was encouraging for sure and that was kind of the you know the earliest I can remember you know feeling like I'd found my thing I want to Part of how I wanted to structure our conversation today was around three moments in your life which I feel like, and you have said, were were I can't moments. And I think that's useful for anybody listening and for me because we all hit these points where, you know, rubber hits the road with our comfort zone. You know, we all hit these points where we kind of go, you know, this is, I'm at the bleeding edge of my incompetence at at this moment and I can either keep trekking forwards or I can pull back. And the first one I wanted to talk about was, I mean, you went from art into graphic design. Um, You had your ups and your downs with the graphic design, but that became quite a successful career for you. And then you had that day when a friend introduced you to a digital camera. Now, was was it love at first sight in in that moment? Yeah, it was. um, Photography wasn't. I took... You know, that, uh, as you saw, that one class in college, I nearly failed photography. Um, but, you know, years later, once I became a digital artist and, you know, really experienced in Photoshop and uh, other visual programs, once digital cameras became a thing, you know, I was way ahead of the game because I already understood digital art and Photoshop and you know, all these seasoned, seasoned photographers had no clue how to do things digitally. And so I immediately had a massive advantage. And so it was was love at first sight in that way, that finally, like, photography was brought into my world of digital art. Because I got really intimidated by the darkroom and developing film. Like, that was not my specialty. But digitally editing things was my... um, and it was my thing, and so so yeah, I think it was love at first sight, and just loved. And at that time, granted, it was like three megapixel, you know, tiny digital <laughs> cameras, but it was still enough for me to be able to start messing with it. And didn't you, didn't you start out by buying was it Digital Photography for Dummies? <laughs> yep, sure, sure enough, I uh, I just could not wrap my head around like shutter speeds and f-stops and iso and white balance and it would just all seem like a foreign language and so i uh, went to the bookstore and bought digital photography for dummies <laughs> to figure out like what is an f-stop what is a shutter speed and uh, you know those things sound intimidating but it's like riding a bike once you learn it you it's really easy and you never forget it and i think there's something so human in that that you know you went on to become one of the most recognized photographers in the world and you started there. And I remember when I first started my first company and, you know, you, you start a company and you're out there making promises and I remember desperately buying books in the background, reading books in the like from the most basics of things just to feel like I could get through the next conversation or get through the, the next thing that I had to tackle and, you know, you don't tell anybody at the time because it feels almost like you should know, maybe, or that, that you know, the true talent doesn't start out that way. True talent is just absorbs information from the, from the universe. You, did you, in that moment, were you thinking this is going to be my thing or were you thinking this is just a fun thing to play with? It was just a fun thing. I and mean, honestly, I was, I was shooting at first just to scan textures in. I loved including textures in my design work. And so, um, you know, for me, it was like a handheld scanner. 
um, but all my friends were musicians and they were assigned with record labels and so my friends would start asking me to shoot their portraits and um, and I was like I don't know how to do that but sure I'll do it and so it was all very accidental and kind of you know whatever but, I, but something worked because an agent in Hollywood discovered me pretty quickly after I started shooting and wanted to sign a, uh, a deal with me to represent me and so it was all again very 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 accidental but a uh, very fast kind of rise to success as a photographer now you know 20 years later well about 16 years later I can really appreciate how lucky I was because those jobs are so hard to get and they were just being handed to me right away when I started and so yeah I definitely had a bit of a lucky start but you have to step into them when they arrive, right? You could have said, no, I'm not ready. Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> truly fake it till you make it. And, and I was doing just that. I mean, I was literally learning how to shoot and learning how to light, like on my own jobs by from my own assistants. So I would tell my assistants, like, this is the kind of look I want, though I had no clue how to achieve it. And then I would watch my own helpers set it up and be like, oh, that's how you do it. <laughs> and so, and it's funny because they didn't know that I didn't know, but yeah, I didn't have a clue. So I was actually faking it as I made it. Uh, it's really funny. Oh, no, let's move into the second, the second I can't. Talk to me, talk to me about Christmas 2008. What happened? Yeah, so Christmas 2008, I um, I had been shooting for three years full-time, and I wanted to do something for people in need that wasn't presents or the usual, you know, Christmas stuff that we give each other. And so I had the idea to do a photo shoot for people in need, and so I rallied together just a few local photographers, and we set up an event, and, um, you know, did a, a real fancy photo shoot for the local... Uh, you know, a local nonprofit that helped homeless people. And um, the day was just went amazingly well, and we documented it and later put together a video to kind of show how it went. And um, when I saw that video, I just cried. I mean, it was really powerful to see people who have never seen themselves on camera, just how much it meant to them. So, um, you know, I... Uh, we, I think a few months later, I put that video out there for the entire, you know, photo industry. Um, back then, it was blogs and, you know, all that before social media was a thing. And so a lot of industry bloggers picked it up. And so that next December 2009, we had photographers in over 40 countries uh, participate and do events in their local cities. And so it really did... Uh, become a global phenomenon uh, pretty quickly and uh, again kind of not accidentally but kind of I had no idea it would uh, take off like that so it started with the thought the thought being I want to do something different um, mm. this Christmas outside of presents what else can I give you put that video out there and did I mean I've got some of the numbers here which we'll get into just in a second but that literally came from you putting the video online and other people and other photographers saying, Hey, if you ever do this again, loop me in. I want to know. I want to be a part of it. I think, I think a lot of people want to help. A lot of times they just don't know how. Um, and I don't believe that everybody is meant to, you know, go on mission trips or serve at their local kitchen or, you know, sometimes things are just out of our range of, natural talents or interests or abilities, but when you can align um, helping with people's natural passions and interests, like magic, I mean, magic can happen. It's just beautiful. And so when I said, help people in your city by simply photographing them with no self-agenda, don't put these in your portfolio. These are not for you. They're truly for the people you're photographing. Print them out deliver them, you know, give them as a gift. And um, that cause and idea just really connected, thankfully. 
It reminds me there's this incredible woman called Linda Cruz who I've interviewed on the podcast before. She goes, at, she does incredible things in the world, but her her phrase is stop being charitable and start being capable, which is basically mm. start using your natural capabilities to help. Yeah, exactly. Because not only does your, can your natural capabilities help, but when somebody sees you using your natural capabilities to help, it it pulls out of them their natural capabilities. Yes, so absolutely. It's the modeling, which is exactly what you did. You modeled a way of helping. Yeah, that's a much more uh, eloquent way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I want to talk about you know some of the some of the impact of that, some of the numbers. So they may be different now, but the numbers that I have. In December 2009, 3,400 photographers and 5,000 volunteers responded, gave away 41,000 portraits in 543 locations in 42 countries. So that was one year later. Yeah, it's uh, completely insane. And the numbers we knew are far um, greater than what we've reported because we can only count what people actually submitted. But we've, uh, in fact, at one point we just stopped counting. But we, we feel confident that now, you know, well over a million portraits have been taken since then over the last decade. Um, so, yeah, it really, really took, I mean, to this day I see, you know, if you browse the hashtag help portrait on Instagram, you'll see, you know, results from nearly every country around the world. It's, it's really crazy. Can you tell me some of the stories that came out of those days? Gosh, yeah, there's just endless. Um, but I remember at one of our first uh, events, there was a woman, I was doing an event in Seattle, and there was a woman there with her four kids, and um, they looked really sad and lonely and over in the corner by themselves, and so we went over to uh, talk to them, and they had just moved to Seattle from... Um, I believe Iran, um, and they, um, you know, just recently their dad had passed away. I think he, forget, I think he was murdered in some kind of conflict, and then shortly after that, somebody tried to kill their their one of the little boys, the brother, um, and so they the mom had enough and she couldn't deal, so she managed to flee the country uh, and get to the U.S. and um, she said we never had a family portrait taken while he was alive. And she had four or five children with her. And so she said, can you take this portrait of my husband and shoot, you know, photograph us and then Photoshop him into the image? And so we were able to do that for her. And, of course, you know, we were all just uh, weeping, you know, crying and just how impactful that was for her to have her first family first ever family portrait with her you know deceased husband and then I remember doing an event uh for a girl that uh had been abused by her father growing up and he would uh, torture her with acid so she had these um, acid scars all over her face and arms and so she she just said I've always wondered what I would look like without these scars and so we were able to through hair makeup and through retouching, um, remove her scars for a portrait. And of course, there were tears all day over that as well. What what makes a f- one photograph so powerful? We're talking about a photo here. Like what what is it that bridges so many gaps? Gosh, that's a big question. <laughs> it is. I know. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, I guess it just. You know, video, it's video. It's hard to like take in one singular moment and really process it. There's so many moments that you're trying to process all at once, but with a photo, just the ability to take in that single, you know, split second of time and uh, really, you know, just process that moment. I mean, there's just infinite uh, examples of that. Like photographs can change can change government regulations. It can change so much. I'm like having photos right now flash through my brain of great examples. Um, but yeah, I mean, photos are, I mean, photojournalist, I'm not a photojournalist, but I'm so, you know, I have such deep admiration and respect for photojournalists who are there 
really harsh places and harsh times to, you know, document history for us. What's the most What's the most impactful photo you've either ever taken or one that's you've seen that has greatly impacted your sense of self? Maybe the one that I've taken. I do have one that comes to mind. I was in Haiti uh, shortly after uh, an earthquake, you know, killed nearly 200,000 people. I don't know if you remember that, but it was I do. massive worldwide news there for quite a while. Um, and I remember we heard there was a wedding going on, and this was just days after the earthquake. So there were still, you know, dead bodies everywhere. I mean, it was like the worst possible Hollywood movie you could ever imagine, just catastrophic devastation, like still houses on fire, people running around with arms and legs cut off, uh, just horrific. And so the idea of somebody getting married, as you can imagine, was uh, the most shocking thing I could have possibly heard at that time. But um, we heard there was a wedding going on. We Someone told us roughly where it was. And so we jumped in the car and started driving around. It was like late, late evening. And um, we got lucky and actually found it. And I pulled up um, right as they were leaving the wedding. And we told them what we're doing. And thankfully, they... Uh, they, uh, you know, agreed to take a portrait. And so we photographed them standing in front of the church that was just, you know, decimated by the earthquake. Um, where they were supposed to get married, but they were standing in the grass next to it. And we found one paper plate close by, left over from the wedding, and they wrote on it, uh, Love Conquers All. And to see that message handwritten on a little paper plate in the midst of just total devastation just kind of rocked my world and um it's got to be one of my you know favorite photos i've ever taken for sure just it was just such a striking message and uh moment that i'll never forget i want to i want to just move keep moving through your journey now and and move on to the the third i can't moment i'm sure there was many but the, the third one that i'm going to laser in on so this is where I kind of picked up on your trail, which is, you know, this particular project we're going to cover now. But it began in April, April 30th, 2012, when you were on your way to a meeting. Can you talk, what, hit, what hit you on that day? Yeah, I was um, really at the peak of my photo career. I was in Los Angeles at the big Hollywood agent doing my thing, shooting celebrities and living that life and that day I had a uh, photo shoot with a model for a big what's now a multi-million dollar uh, iPhone app company and so we were at uh, you know downtown Los Angeles doing a really cool shoot and we had a meeting in a hotel room so I'm walking you know through the hotel room to to the hotel hallways to my room and uh I just kind of got knocked over the head with an idea um, that that <laughs> I don't think I've ever had an idea this big, but the idea was to build a hotel where everything in the building had a purpose to it. So, for example, the art on the walls came from humanitarian artists. The internet feed fought against human trafficking. The blanks and soaps and linens and all that stuff came from nonprofits. Um, and so forth. And so uh, the the name of the hotel hit me in the moment, the Purpose Hotel, the tagline, change the world in your sleep. Like, I just was overwhelmed, all in like maybe a minute of time, you know, all in that hallway, just walking down the hallway. And so... I'm, um, I'm just, sorry. Go ahead. I'm just smiling. I'm smiling while you're saying that because, you know, we can spend so long sat staring at a laptop you know staring at the the sky like willing willing inspiration to come and then it's usually in those moments right like it's usually in those moments where you're walking down a hallway or you're having a shower or where all of a sudden it's like a train arrives it arrives yeah. almost yeah. fully formed out of nowhere exactly uh elizabeth gilbert really talks about it a lot in her book uh, i think it's big magic um 
which I just recently read. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's like these ideas, you know, what, no matter what you believe, um, you know, she's, she said they're like little spirits floating around. And if you don't um, take, you know, uh, if you don't, if you're not a good steward of them, they'll keep moving on to the next person. And, uh, you know, I believe, uh, you know, that, that, that that one especially was a gift from God because I was not, it's one thing to take credit for an idea. If I sit down and brainstorm and get out the whiteboard and, you know, just start like if I'm burnt out on my career and I need a new thing, but to be at the peak of my career, minding my own business and just have an idea come out of nowhere that really uh, could influence so many people. I mean, I can't, I, I just can't find it in myself to take credit for that idea. I mean, it was truly just handed to me um, out of nowhere. And so I've just been trying to be a good steward of it and uh, bring it to life. Let's go into that being a good steward. Like the, You said for the next three years you lived in fear of the idea. And, you know, I know what that feels like. I think a lot of people know what that feels like. That one idea that you've had that is incredible, that feels huge, and so you shove it to the back of your head because it's just way too big, mm. way too scary. So you, you you did that. You pushed it to the back of your brain for, for three years. What what changed? What changed? When did you decide to pick it up and run with it? Yeah, well, the fact that it never like every day during those three years I thought about it and was con you know, continuing to be passionate about it. Um, but it was actually one night where I had dinner with this guy that um, is incredibly smart and influential and wealthy and has a lot of ideas that he's put out into the world himself. He um, It's a big-time television producer, um, and so he just spoke a lot of belief into me that night and was even willing to like invest and get involved with me. And I think just hearing that from him, it's like I needed somebody at that level to believe in it so that I could believe in it myself. Um, and so I was like, well, dang, if this guy thinks it's legit, like maybe I should go for it. You know, maybe this thing does need to be born. So there that was it. I mean, that's what I needed to, to get the ball rolling. You know, in there, there's, there's a couple of things for me, you know, one reminds me of that. I don't know if you've heard it, the Marianne Williamson quote that our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Hmm. And that's, you know, usually for me, at least the, the essence of the fear of these big ideas that, you know, there are things that I can do and then there's, if I were powerful beyond measure, what would I, I'd do that thing. Well, that's just terrifying to, to accept yeah. that. That's just terrifying. The other, the other part of it is finding somebody, when you have these ideas, finding somebody, as you said, you can speak belief to it. I love that line. Somebody credible who can speak belief to the idea that you've had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a, yeah, that was a game changer. And did he go on to be a partner in the idea? You know, he, he didn't, but we've kept in touch, and he still is rooting us on and, um, you know, has even made other introductions to other, uh, you know, influential people to be involved. But he's not directly involved, but I still kind of credit him to being involved just to that one simple moment of speaking the belief into the idea. And so let's talk about the idea. The idea was um, Purpose Hotel. Mm -hmm. And as you said, to build a hotel with purpose at its core where every single part of the hotel had a purpose and comes from, comes from a human being. So it's basically what I loved about the idea is it's fueled by human storytelling almost, which is your area of, of specialty. Very, very much, yeah. And so every single part Ever. of the hotel has a story. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not literally every single little thing, but yeah, the idea is that, um, you know, if it makes sense to have a nonprofit connection or a cause connection or, or to tell a great story, it will. Um, I mean, we don't want to overwhelm people with, you know, 
logos and nonprofits and make it this sad, you know, museum. It's actually going to be quite uh, a celebration of humanity. That's what I really like to refer to it as. It's going to be a very modern, um, future-focused, uh, you know. I, I just feel like a lot of nonprofits, it just feels heavy, you know, it just feels sad, and, and we're not going to be that at all. And so, yeah, it's just going to be this place where you know that every decision you make in the hotel is uh, bettering the life of somebody else. So you spent a year preparing for the 2016 Kickstarter fundraising campaign, mm-hmm. and your initial goal was to raise $2 million. Why two million? Were you just was that a number you you grabbed? That that sounds like a big goal. Was there a psychology to it? <laughs> yeah. Well, at the time, that was still when Kickstarter was I don't know more more present. And I had just had a friend. Uh, he set a goal of raising a hundred grand to fund a real little camera bag, like a camera bag, like just simple <laughs> bag to carry your <laughs> camera. And so. Um, he ended up raising $4 million for his what? little... Yes, exactly, right? And so, and he had a, uh, at the time, like a pretty, you know, minimal, uh, small platform. And so I'm like, okay, if this guy can raise $4 million for a simple camera bag, and I'm trying to build a global hotel chain that's going to better humanity, like surely... I can raise half of what he raised at two million, you know, um, and so that w- that was like it sounds dumb, but yeah, and that that was basically the thinking. Um, but I, what I realized in hindsight, though, is Kickstarter really benefits like a thing that you're going to get in the mail and you're going to love it, and it's going to be you know a gadget or something for your gadgets. Um, but a hotel was trickier in hindsight because it's an idea. It's not going to exist for years. It may not even be in your city. And so it was a bigger stretch to have people support an idea where they wouldn't be getting this gadget or something. And so but and so our first one failed. Uh, we raised like 750 grand. But if you don't hit your goal, obviously you get zero dollars. So that we relaunched it. heartbreaking. You know... It was, but it was also uh, insane because even though we failed, the the publicity and the excitement and the support just exploded. Um, I mean, the internet really, really rallied around it, and so we relaunched it immediately with a much lower goal of three hundred grand, and we still hit around our seven hundred grand mark, and so uh, that was enough money to essentially get the ball rolling and start uh getting you know teams involved and so yeah it's crazy crazy journey i want i want to focus on on two things there two things that i i feel like you did that were just genius the first one and what caught my attention was the video the video put together i really believe that if you if you want to find storytelling not at its finest, but at its most focused, Kickstarter is a great place to go. Because if you're going to convince a complete stranger who doesn't know you, doesn't know anything about your idea, to put their money on the line in that moment in one three-minute video for something that may or may not get delivered, you know, mm-hmm. you'd better tell a good story. And yep. and I think especially for corporations, you know, a lot of them are so far removed from storytelling that is that focused. Talk to me about that video and you know you and I have chatted before this interview and I've said to you I've I've stood on stages in front of literally thousands of people and shown them the video that you put together as Mm. such an example of human-centric epic storytelling what did you what was the vision let's start there what was the vision for the video what did you know that it had to do I just knew that the vision was so, so clear, and we, but we had to express that as equally clear in the three-minute video. And so I actually had a buddy um, at the time that had previously made the most viral video ever in the history of the world. And so he had what a video company, was that? Uh, Coney 2012. It was about... Oh, yes. Yeah, Joseph Coney. And so it had... 
I don't even remember how many hundreds of millions of views, but every celebrity, you know, in America was posting it and it just blew up. And so I was like, dude, who made your video? <laughs> and so I knew I had to go to like the best in the business to help us make that video. Um, so we did. We um, put a lot of time into it and really, you know, nailed down the script and uh, they flew in from L.A. and helped us uh, put it together. Was it deliberate that you were in it? Because I feel like having you in it, having the human being that was the nexus of the idea was so important to the video being as successful as it was. Were you determined that you needed to be in it or was that just something that happened very accidentally? It did for the same reasons that you just mentioned. It definitely wasn't an ego thing like this. I don't want this to be a... You know, I'm not the hero of the story here, but I agree with you in that businesses seem more alive when we know the human behind it. You know, like there's endless examples of that, like Elon Musk and Tesla or Bono and U2 or Richard Branson and Virgin. Or, I mean, there's just endless examples of when you know the person, it can be bad too, because if you don't like that person, then you don't like the company. <laughs> But even still, I just like the idea of, of, you know, a person representing a story and a brand uh, up front. So, yeah, I thought it was um, the right idea to present it as, like, you know, kind of the common, like, I'm just a little person and a little idea, but I believe it could change the world. And I know a lot of people can relate to that feeling of like, man, I've got a big idea. How do I put it out into the universe and see what happens? So, the the second thing that I think you did that really kind of hit the hit the mark for me, and again, I had never heard of of you, and and I had never heard of Purpose Hotel, but as you know, I got to that Kickstarter page. I don't even know how, and and put my credit card details in. The second thing was the wall of founders. Now, you, the idea behind the wall of founders, I'm going to try and do it justice, please do jump in, um, was that if you were one of the founding contributors to this idea, there would be a wall in every hotel with like tiny photos of every single person who contributed to this big idea. Mm-hmm. And where that spoke very specifically to me was, and I'm just putting the pieces together now in this conversation, was you hit the nail on the head with the something tangible. You know, I'm not going to get a camera bag through the mail. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to get a beehive. Um, (laughs) You know, but there is going to be a place where I can go and see that I was a part of something that I'm going to be able to take my daughter to, stay in this hotel and show her the idea that I was able to contribute to in a very tangible sense. Was that deliberate you putting wall of founders together or was it a you know just an idea where you think you know, what, what else can we what else can we throw in here to add value the the vision was exactly as you just described it the vision was yeah in 20 years 30 years 40 years like being able to bring your kids one day grandkids to these buildings and show them that i was a part of this you know we wanted this hotel to start with the people, um, you know, before even investors came on board, like we wanted it to be a organic Kickstarter backer type thing. And so it was very intentional, uh, for those reasons to, to get everyday people involved as founders. Well, backers. Yeah. How many backers were there eventually? I don't remember the exact number. It was just under 5,000, uh, backers we had. You are you have shown to be incredible at sparking conversation. You know who you are, how you do it. You've sparked so many conversations. But that's just one part of it, right? Like the starting of a conversation, the sparking of it is one part. The next part is the long haul. The next part is keeping that spark alive, keeping that flame alive. What have you learned about nurturing it so that it keeps moving? Gosh, that is a great, great question. Um, I don't know. I just, I'm very, very uh, curious, uh, quite ADD to a fault. And I'm always, um, always love learning and 
seeking. I don't typically like what I made yesterday or last year, but I love what I'm making right now, and I love what I'm gonna make tomorrow. But I don't. I just don't <laughs> like what I made yesterday. It's a weird thing. Um, and so uh, I just love dreaming and uh, chasing ideas and failing and learning from those fails and trying again, you know, um, and now helping others on that process of bringing their ideas to life. Like, I just love ideas. I get really fired up about um, ideas. But, you know, it's hard, especially during this, you know, pandemic um, to keep the sparks alive when you can't travel, you can't, you know, there's so many things we can't do. And so I think it's been a, a dark season for a lot of people. And uh, I sure hope we don't go back into lockdown. But um, but to, uh, this is a long answer to question. But I don't know. I mean, listening to music gives me ideas. Watching movies. Like anytime I'm taking creative information in, uh, I feel like I'm getting sparks of ideas. I, I real hardcore about social media and like weeding out the things that bring me down you know i don't think social media is good or bad it gets a it gets a wrong rap either way um it's a tool that can be used for good or bad it's like a brick a brick can be used to break a window or it can be used to build a house and social media is the same way so i really encourage people to go through your instagram or tiktok or whatever and look at each account you follow and identify what that account brings you. Does it bring you jealousy or does it piss you off and make you mad or does it make you laugh? Like, for example, like dogs and cats, like that's only fun. That's <laughs> only a good thing to follow dogs and cats. Or for me, like sports, I love following sports. There's no negative emotions that I get from like watching you know sports especially the Olympics right now um but do I need to see you know every vacation that all my friends are on or every event that I wasn't invited to or every perfect body that somebody else has that I don't have like there's so much that we're filling our brains with um that we just don't need um and so I really encourage people to take a hard look at the specific accounts they follow across social media and, you know, either mute or unfollow people. I love muting because then your friend doesn't know you have unfollowed <laughs> them, but you've muted them. And so I highly encourage people uh, to, to freely use the mute button like crazy. <laughs> I have a friend who compares social media to food. So the social media or any information you consume to food, you know, you make sure the majority of it is healthy, is healthy yeah. for you, makes yeah. you feel alive, vibrant. And then every once in a while, you know, you want to, you, you want to follow a bit of junk food, follow a bit of junk food, but just get it proportional in terms yeah. of your health. Exactly. What's, what's your current, I can't, you know, we've talked about the fact that we've gone through a period and are still going through, I mean, I'm in lockdown here sat in lockdown right now still going through a big time of I can't do that I can't you know either I'm not allowed legally to do that or what is being asked of me in terms of how I pivot everything that I do I just I can't do it what's what's your current I can't yeah um it's a tough season there there are a few but um you know definitely the hotel still feels like this just mammoth of a, of a dream that has really been difficult. Um, you know, I didn't really get into the rest of the journey, but it's been a hard road. Um, but there is a really exciting new story that's developing. I can't get into specifics yet, but it's taken a major, major turn over the past two months that um, I have more hope than ever. But it's still, you know, you're you're talking to a freelance artist photographer that is trying to build a 160 million dollar 20 plus story high-rise hotel that features you know rooms and restaurants and meeting spaces and ballrooms and fitness and swimming pools it's a it's a monster of an idea you know it's not like a little 
project that I can just go and launch. I mean, it is just massive uh, in its scale. So, yeah, it still feels like uh, David and Goliath, but um, I feel like we're, we're, we're getting there, you know, one swing at a time. Pick the idea that's going to kick your ass. You know, don't, don't play smaller than that. Yeah, exactly. And you you have picked it just very quickly for anyone that's listening before we before we wrap up today. Where is it at? Are you able to is there a high level picture of of where Purpose Hotel is right now and how anybody can help speak belief into the idea of what you're trying to create? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. A lot of people it's taken so long that a lot of people actually think we're like a con or we're you know, we we're not ever going to exist. I think we just stole their money, uh, which is heartbreaking. On one hand, I, mm. you know, see why they think that because uh, it has taken a really long time. But on the other hand, gosh, if they had any idea of the thousands of hours, I mean, yeah. literally thousands of hours. That it's, I mean, this isn't a camera bag, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and so we we were in a really difficult three year situation on some. Uh, on a key piece of land downtown in Nashville, Tennessee. And that was just a bit of a mess. And so um, we're out of that situation now and uh, on a new development that is uh, moving much quicker and bigger and better. And so, and we're also now exploring uh, multiple cities simultaneously. And so, you know, it's no longer like one city at a time. We are you know, uh, all in on multiple properties at once. So life's about to get pretty interesting real soon. And if people want to support, how can they do that? Yeah, right now, uh, just, you know, join our mailing list at the Purpose Hotel, follow us on social media, obviously. Um, it's about it for the meantime. Now, you have you have four children, two, mm-hmm. two of which are, are adopted, and so you're you're pretty you got your hands full in oh in in more than one way. Yes. And you know just you and me trying to get this interview going my very small life and your very large life was it was an interesting feat. As a parent, how do you or how will you how are you planning on responding in those moments where you hear one of your children say I can't? Yeah, I mean I feel like I hear it every day. Um I try to tell them the same thing my dad did, but not being annoying about it. Um, you know, I just try to be there for them and listen and, uh, you know, encourage them in whatever ways that I can. And just, you know, just that support and unconditional love. I mean, that's that's key. That's what they need from us. You know, whether we um, give them any specific feedback is almost irrelevant, But as, but if they feel our love and support no matter what I think that's the greatest thing you can do as a parent what's for anybody out there right now who's sitting on a big I can't whatever it might be it might be big in scale it might just be big in feeling what's the what's one piece of guidance I won't say advice but what's what's one piece of guidance just not large guidance but more just taking the next step guidance yeah, I mean, number one, I get it. I've been there, and I continue to be there. Um, but two, I've learned that if you say no to your first idea, you might be saying no to your 20th idea or your 100th idea. Like, it's really important to get in the habit of just trying, you know, just trying your dreams, your ideas. That they, they might very well fail. But people only remember us um, for our successes. People forget failures, especially if you just keep doing stuff and throwing stuff at the wall while they sit on the bench and do nothing, you know, like just who cares what anybody else thinks? Just go try it, get the ball rolling and see what happens. Um, You might, you know, that will likely lead to more and more uh, success, even in other areas. And so that's what I've learned throughout my life is I've pursued over 75 different ideas and probably more than half of them have been total utter failures that or <laughs> I've abandoned altogether but a few of them have been um, you know really successful and those are the ones that I end up talking to people on podcast about you know so um, <laughs> you just you just gotta start start doing it and release that 
fear of what other people think. I love that. You don't get to version version 100 unless you say the yes to version 1. There's no there's no shortcuts. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for your time and for the work that you do and I will continue to support you loudly and in small ways from the sidelines. That means the world, truly. Thank you so much, Julie. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and have seized hold of at least one tool, idea, or mindset that will help you start raising your own level of influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your journey or would just love a roadmap to becoming the most influential voice, idea, or brand in your space, then I have good news. You can now download the latest updated version of my ebook, The Influencer Code, from my website, juliemasters.com. Also, there's a link in the show notes. Just pop in your email address, and I promise I will not spam you, but it is jam-packed full of ideas, tools, and case studies that I have come across in my now 20-plus years of doing this work, not to mention the seven areas and seven core questions that I have found to be hands-down the most valuable when it comes to immediately lifting your ability to make an impact. Download it, keep it, share it, juice it for all it is worth. I hope it makes a massive difference in both your career and your business. Thank you always to my co-founder and the main brain behind this podcast, Lauren Kelly. You kick my butt in all the right ways. Thank you for making it happen. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode.